It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, it's February 13th. Over a year on the radio now. Hey, it's Ashley Frasca, host of Green and Growing. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. So here we are in hour number three. And I've been promising this. I've been promoting this. And this is something that is going to be an annual thing that I get really excited about. And I've got to say, it was my second show, my second ever show. I featured the Great Backyard Bird Count about this time last year. And I'm very pleased to bring back Becca Radomsky-Bish from Cornell University in the Lab of Ornithology there in Ithaca, New York, to talk to us about this big project. Becca, welcome back. Great to be here. Thank you for having me, Ashley. Yeah, literally one of my first guests. And I mean, this was just such a fun topic. So I really wanted you to have another chance for the spotlight to kind of uh, inspire folks here in the Atlanta area and in Georgia as to what this is and what's going on. So the Great Backyard Bird Count, tell us a little bit about this project. Yeah, the Great Backyard Bird Count is a really fun four-day event. You can participate all four days or just one day or just uh, 15 minutes on one day. Um, It's a really attainable way for people who are interested in birds and like watching them and like telling us about what they're seeing and what they're watching. You can submit that information to us, the, the bird data to us, and it goes into one of the largest repositories of bird data that exists in the world in a tool called eBird, and that is a lab of ornithology tool for collecting bird bird lists, bird checklists. And then scientists use that data. So literally when people participate in the Great Backyard Bird Count, they are be, being citizen scientists. That's kind of the term, also termed sometimes community scientists. So it's this idea that you, everyday people, can participate in the scientific process by submitting observations about birds. And then the scientists on this end can use that data, that very, very valuable data, to be able to understand what's going on in the world in terms of bird populations. And you've got a young child, so how fun is that to get the kids involved and say, hey, you're going to be a citizen scientist. Like, I bet that makes them feel so puffed up and so important that this is really important work that you're relying on folks to do here for you. We're doing this work for little ones like my son, right? If birds are in trouble, then we need to be paying attention to that so we can do something about it so that all of our kids have uh, birds and wildlife to enjoy for their futures. But yeah, my son loves to participate in this event. Our favorite thing is we pull up the um, live submission map so you can see the entire world and you can see your little spot in the world blink when you hit enter and your checklist goes into the system and we sit and we have the checklist entry on one side of the screen and the global world on the other and then the light goes off and he goes that's where we live it's very very fun he gets very into it that is really neat so the technology is here so if you all want to follow along birdcount.org is the site but becca you mentioned eBird is kind of that app that we'll put on our phones. It's free. And that's really what we're going to have open and in front of us for the 15-minute counting period. So what's involved in that? What do I do for those 15 minutes? You can literally do this wherever you are, whether you're in a big city, whether you're in the middle of the country, um, on a farm. It it doesn't matter. We want to know what what birds you're seeing. So you could be sitting and having your morning cup of coffee and literally just going to watch what is out there. And if I know the name of the bird, I'm going to be able to say, okay, I just saw two black-capped chickadees. And then if you don't know a bird, write down the description of it. And you can. we have some tools on our site where you can go and actually ID 
that bird. And you're literally just keeping track of how many you see during that time period. It's real easy. It's real straightforward. And like you mentioned, there's a, a great mobile app for eBird. You can just drop it right in using your mobile app. This year, what's sort of fun and new for your listeners who may not be familiar, there's a really cool bird ID app called Merlin that's out of the lab as well. And it's a real simple three questions um, about what colors of the bird you see, how big approximately the bird is, and what the bird is doing. Where is it? And then it'll give you choices based on your location of what bird you're likely looking at. And if you click, that's my bird, that goes into the GBBC and you have participated in the count. So it's kind of a fun way for people who are like, well, I like birds, but I have no idea what I'm seeing. Um, it's a really simple, easy way to engage if you just want to ID one bird over the weekend using the, the Merlin Bird ID app. And that's M-E-R. L-I-N? Yep, just like the bird. So Merlin's a type of a raptor. And you can find both of them, either the links directly on our website, or you can look them up in your app stores. And also a website, if you, if you didn't want to mess with an app, some of you, which is fine, you can go to nestwatch.org. That's another one of y'all's sites, Becca, the Cornell Lab uh-huh. of Ornithology, nestwatch.org. And there's just right there at the bottom of the screen, you can scroll across and see all these birds and, you know, like you said, based on color, based on size, even their beak. You know, if there's two that look really similar, look at their beak. Maybe the length yep. of their beak is a little bit different or something like that. And you'll be able to know the male's usually a more colorful version of the same bird. You know, a female typically mm-hmm. will have a more dull color. But Becca, when we spoke last year about the Great Backyard Bird Count, it was before a pandemic. Who knew, yeah. right? <laughs> so did your team kind of talk about that leading into this year's? What are you expecting from folks? Maybe bigger numbers, more folks being engaged in the outdoors, hopefully? This count literally happened just as the United States was kind of starting to um, pay real close attention because our numbers are starting to go up in terms of COVID. And um, I just want to plug that we want everybody to, to count safely this year. So what's really great about this project is you can do that, right, because you can do it at your home or just with the family. But if people do go out and go birding specifically to try and find more birds, just, again, practice uh, social distancing and masking. We're really encouraging people to do that. But the lab in general has seen huge monstrous growth here in 2020 um, and into 2021 with COVID. And what's really beautiful and inspiring about that is that people are turning to birds as a way to survive these very challenging times. Um, A lot of people are homebound and they feel like they are kept company by the birds that they're feeding or they're watching out their door. So it's a really neat way um, for people to stay engaged and also contribute to science and feel that sort of connection to the natural world that might be harder to do right now given the circumstances circumstances. eBird is the tool. So Great Backyard Bird Count is the event, we say, and the data tool we use is eBird. And in 2020 alone, we saw almost a 40% increase in people that are participating and submitting lists to us. So huge interest in birds is growing. And I think a lot of people are finding solace and refuge in being able to watch birds during this pandemic we're experiencing. Now, what kind of work and outreach do you all do to local, whether it's at the state level or even more local than that, Audubon societies? Mm The uh, Great Backyard Bird Count is actually kind of a trifecta organizational effort. So Audubon is one of the partners on this project with the lab and Birds Canada. And what's really great about that is we can all mobilize our different networks to participate. And Audubon does do a lot of targeting um, encouragement to participate within their chapters. The Lab of Ornithology is obviously very global. So we uh, motivate and inspire a lot of our global partners to participate. So what's neat about this project is it's not just local. It's the 
the entire world, and we sort of try and captivate different organizations based on sort of what the lab and Birds Canada and Audubon have access to. And then obviously Canada is really active in um, encouraging participation in their provinces as well. So I'm speaking with Becca Radomsky-Bish. She is with the Cornell University, the Lab of Ornithology in Ithaca, New York. But you mentioned this is a global project. You want participation worldwide from folks. Now, in months down the road, as you ingest all of this data and things people are seeing, what do you ultimately end up doing with all of that information? That's a great question. Um, The data that is used in eBird has become one of the most important pieces of data that people turn to when they're trying to analyze what's going on in terms of biodiversity uh, around the world. Um, So in 2020 alone, more than 90 scientific papers were published using some form of bird data. Um, And so the, the, the way that the data is used is really dependent on what the scientist is trying to ask and answer in terms of the questions that they're pursuing. But um, some of the very common themes that we see in a lot of the research is, you know, how are birds and biodiversity in general being impacted by climate change? Um, where are populations moving to or away from? And why, why could that be? What are some of the influences that could be causing that? Um, are our common bird species that we're used to seeing, are they common? Are, are the populations staying high or are they, um, are we experiencing drops and why could that be? So the, the questions are really geared um, based on the researcher and what they're trying to look at, but the data that we can provide is really solid. It's consistently been able to document migration patterns of birds, populations of birds around the world, and people are really turning to that data for um, a set you just couldn't get as a regular scientist because we can't be everywhere all the time. So citizen scientists are becoming increasingly important when we're trying to put our finger on the pulse of what's going on with uh, biodiversity on the planet. Amazing. Some some great work being done. Let me ask you really quickly before we hit a break, Becca, how mm-hmm. long has this been going on? Great question. So um, the GBBC actually started 24 years ago. We're in our 24th year in 1998. And um, what's really fun about this project is it predates eBird. So eBird is really the powerful data tool we use now, but they used GBBC as a way to ask this question. We know people love birds. Will they actually tell us what birds they're seeing? Will people actually do that? Will they submit their scientific uh, bird checklist to us? And the answer was yes. So soon after the GBBC experienced several successful years, eBird started to be developed, and in uh, 2002, eBird was launched. So GBBC sort of predates the big power tool that we now um, put all of our data in because we were able to say, yeah, people will do this and people enjoy this. And so therefore, they built a tool around it. So we'll find out more when you go to birdcount.org to get started. And if you're already in front of your mobile device, you just pull up eBird. That is the app when you search your app store and you can get started. It runs today, tomorrow, and Monday for the long President's Day weekend. So four days full of data. We missed yesterday, but today, you can start today, your 15 <laughs> minutes. Well, Becca, I've got a couple of questions about how we can attract more birds to our landscape. We're going to take a break and check sure. traffic and weather. We'll be back on 95.5 WSB. I'm Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. Wet weather tapering off later this afternoon. We stay overcast and today's high in the mid-40s. 
All right, a check of the weekend weather sponsored by Finley Roofing. I am back with Becca Radomsky-Bish. I'm going to say a friend of the show because this is her second appearance on Green and Growing, <laughs> and it is to promote the great backyard bird count, the Lab of Ornithology at Cornell University doing this wonderful citizen science project, but they need all of us. And I wanted to ask you, Becca, based on last year, you said 2020 was a great year for the bird count. Maybe yep. not necessarily how did Georgia do, but where did we have strong showings? Georgia turned out pretty well last year. The The big powerhouse was Fulton County. You guys had more than 500 checklists there, 561 to be exact. So you had a lot of people uh, pushing their uh, that's my bird button and submitting their checklists in Fulton County last year. We could do a little bit better than that, I know, folks. Well, I've got another couple of minutes with you, Becca, and I just want to know, maybe folks will do this count for 15 minutes this weekend and you know, I didn't really see that many birds, or I don't get that many mm. birds in my landscape, so I don't put out food or whatever. But what practices can we do to attract more birds and make it more hospitable for them? I'll pitch my favorite one because I know your listeners are gardeners, and I'm an avid gardener as well. I actually do a lot of my gardening for the birds. I just love to find native plants that I know that the birds in this area will either eat the fruits or the seeds on, and or perhaps more importantly, the caterpillars on, so that I can actually encourage birds to not only come and visit my property, but also stay and nest and raise young on my property. So that has been incredibly successful. Your listeners will appreciate this year for the first time ever I have a Carolina uh, wren that has decided to stay up in my uh, neck of the woods. We have never seen this species in and around our property before through the winter. They usually migrate further south. So second to sort of having lots of seeds and fruit um, in your property in terms of native plants, you can feed birds. Uh, A lot of people do that in the winter. So a lot of our seed eaters really appreciate having seeds. Um, If you don't have feeders, you can put them out. I have friends who live in big cities in New York, and you will be surprised if you put a feeder out what is attracted to them. What tools do you recommend, Becca? We've got about a minute here. One or two simple things that are going to make our 15 minutes a lot more relaxing today or this weekend as we participate in the count. If you have a property where you know that you see birds every day, just relax. Pull up a chair, get a warm cup of coffee or tea, whatever your preference is, and just spend 15 minutes, a half hour, an hour sitting and watching or sitting and listening. You can also submit sounds that you hear if you know the species that you're hearing and make it a moment to just kind of take some deep breaths and appreciate the birds that you see around you. Boy, we could really use that. That sounds amazing. I'm going to do it after 9 o'clock. I'm going to head home, and I've got my perch at the kitchen window already. The bird feeder is full, set to go. Becca Radomsky-Bish, thank you so much. Give us the website and the app name one more time for folks. So our website is birdcount.org, and the two apps you can use are the eBird mobile app or the Merlin Bird ID app. We're going to check back in with you for sure, and you tell us how we did in a couple of months once y'all gather all the information. I can't wait to hear. Will do. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Thanks, Becca. We'll be right back. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Back to the last half hour of Green. 
Eating and Growing. Thanks for joining me. Ashley Kraska here on your radio, followed by Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It Show. So you know I've been excited about this show for a number of weeks because the Great Backyard Bird Count, sponsored by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, this weekend asking you just to do some birding, watch some birds, check out your landscape for 15 minutes. And we brought along Pike Nursery, which makes sense. Allison Smith, she's the manager of the East Cobb location, to get the family involved in birding this weekend. Hey, Allison, welcome back to the show. Good morning. How are you? Very good. And like I told you off the air, so excited about this topic. I mean, there's so much involvement between Pike Nursery and birding. Y'all have got a great department just to get folks excited about the theme this weekend. Um, And I know you, Allison, know how we can get kids involved and excited about this. Oh, absolutely. Like you can't be in your garden or looking outside from your window without and enjoying your garden without enjoying the birds. And uh, this is a great activity to involve kids in. Most of us remember from our childhood making little pine cone bird feeders with peanut butter and bird yes. seed. That's one fun thing we can do. But we've got a lot of neat tips on things that can bring birds to your garden, just as simple as different foods, different shelters, ways to attract them that don't necessarily have to include peanut butter. Now, I tell you, the Coles brand of bird seed that you guys have in the stores, that works phenomenally well in my landscape. Coles is a big seller here, specifically our hot meats and our Cajun cardinal. And the reason for that, they're spicy. Birds don't have taste buds, but squirrels do. And anyone who's filled a bird feeder is well aware of the (laughs) Ah. fact that the cute little squirrels are greedy as well. And that can be a uh, a costly friend to eat your bird seeds. So getting those spicy bird seeds is a really big plus when you're out there feeding the birds. And talk about suet, too. You know, if we don't like the messiness of bird seed or we just have a little more of a contained area where a bird feeder is not practical, suet may work. Suet's fantastic, Um, especially in the cold winter months. It's kind of like an an energy bar for birds. It's got really high fat, high calorie, and it stays very compact, specifically in the cold months. So it comes in little cakes or logs. And of course, we sell the suet feeders as well. So it's very easy to plop it in there, hang them from a tree or a little shepherd's hook and watch the birds flock to it. And if you don't want to spend the money or you just don't have the time to keep up with the bird seed and the bird feeders and all of that, you can make your landscape, no matter how big or how small, friendly and habitable for birds, really. And so you've got some suggestions, Allison, for maybe some things we can plant that bury or that they would provide shelter for the birds. Absolutely. I love that you ask about that. Um, Birds are both tree and shrub nesting. So they can take shelter anywhere from three foot high shrubs to 20 feet off the ground. I know this time of year, a lot of times we can catch little glimpses of birds nests up in the trees. They also love to nest in plants like hawthorns, um, junipers, oaks, even some ornamental grasses and dense ground covers are good shelter for some of the ground dwellers. And of course, we always have those in stock here at Pike. Additionally, winter berry um, plants are fantastic as a source also of food, like hollies, viburnum, beautyberry, not to mention they're gorgeous in the landscape. Yeah, and the most, I think, just outstanding bird that I've seen with a burying bush has been a cedar waxwing. Gosh, those birds are like meticulously painted. They're gorgeous. They're stunning. They almost don't look real. Um, Robins, bluebirds, woodpeckers, cardinals, all just the gorgeous colors of their feathers. Uh, It just really lights up your yard to draw them in. 
And Allison, I got to tell you, I'll probably be by your store this weekend there at Johnson Ferry in Shallowford because I broke my bird bath. I had a glass bird bath and I let water stay in it and it froze and it broke. So <laughs> I think I'm going to yeah. not have any difficult time finding a bird bath replacement. Well, fortunately, we've got lots of options here. And you bring up a good point. Uh, we love having water out there for the birds. And while they don't really bathe in cold water, they do drink that water. An important thing that we want to bear in mind is when those temperatures drop down below freezing, just like if you had a fountain in your yard, you'd want to empty out that water so it doesn't freeze. Keep that mindful, too. But we do have cement um, statuary yeah. bird baths, and that's always a good option where you don't necessarily always have to empty out that water for a breakage um, prevention, but just to keep it from freezing over. I'm going to go with that. Just a friendly reminder, tap, 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 everybody. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Um, so That's Allison, right. last-minute shoppers, they got 24 hours. Help us out. Oh <laughs> uh, Well, if you want something in your yard that's also going to complement the gorgeous voices of those birds, we have an amazing array of wind chimes that always add something sweet and pleasant out there to your garden sounds. And, of course, you can never go wrong with orchids or any of our floral flowering gifts for the house. Perfect. And uh, before we part ways, Allison, tell us, too, you know, if we're still not out and about shopping in the stores, we have some other avenues, too. We offer online, curbside, and delivery options. You can visit us at pikenursery.com and just scroll through. You can see all of our offerings. It really is a great resource if you don't have time or you're stuck at home. Jump on there and uh, see what we have to offer. Allison, thank you so much for your time, and happy Valentine's Day. I hope we get to catch up again soon. I hope so. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Ashley. Thanks. Thank you. So I really appreciate how patient Fred in Lawrenceville has been. And now you're on the show. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? I'm glad you called. I've got an area in the back half of the yard that's kind of hidden with pine trees. So it's got a lot of pine needles and such that have been there for years. And I want to put some blueberry bushes in. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. Um, the only thing, pine trees aren't going to be, you know, as shady as some of the other trees because they grow so tall, but that, that acidic soil's there, right? I mean, the pine trees are there. The blueberries love acidic soil. Anything that's on a scale up to like 5.2, 5.3 in that range, that soil's going to be really um, conducive to, to good blueberry growth. You just got to make sure you get sun for at least half the day. It'll pick up sun probably from about 11 to about 4 or 5 in the afternoon. Yes, I like that. I like that. And and my mother-in-law, she the house that she inherited, she had some uh, blueberry bushes growing wild. I mean, I'm sure at one point they were put there on purpose, but they were kind of at the edge of the, the yard as well, you know, kind of an understory almost to some trees at the periphery of the property. And they were just so abundant. I mean, they grew so tall. They were over her head. The birds got their fair share. She got her fair share. So I think you're you're going to be fine to do that. What grows best is the rabbit eye variety. So that's what okay. you're going to want to look for. And you need two different types. Um, you have to have two different varieties of rabbit eye for the cross-pollination. So when you're looking at the labels, you may see something like, I think I've got uh, Climax and Tift Blue, but you'll see the two different names and that's definitely what you have to have to have them pollinate one another. So don't just get okay. all, you know, Brightwell or all Climax or whatever. That's not going to really do you any good. And, I mean, why not do blueberries? A, you get the yield. You get the crop. They're so easy. They're, they're pretty resistant to insects and disease for the most part as long as they're in the right spot. So they don't require any spraying or anything like that. So, yeah, now would be a great time to go ahead and do that, Fred. Okay, get them in the ground now or... 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, you know, dig the hole wider than you do deep. Um, and as far down in the pot that they are in the nursery, that's, you know, the soil level height that you want to put them in the ground, no deeper. I would say get a soil test, but with you planting around those pine trees, I think it's going to be fine. Um, so I wouldn't even do that. And honestly, I mean, there are like amendments like barks and things that you can put into the hole, but I have mine potted on the deck and have for four or five years. I didn't do a thing. I just I just bought garden soil, and they've been happy for so long. So I think you're going to be just fine. Don't worry about any amendments or anything like that. Um, and you're ready to go. How far spaced out should they be? Ultimately, I think they probably need to be uh, at least three or four feet apart. Oh, okay. I yeah, they, they need to be pretty far. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be small now, but they're they're going to get huge. And then you're going to want to... You know, keep up with the pruning so that the branches aren't crossing later on and that sunlight can, you know, get through there and, and allow it to be a little open to get the sunlight in there. So you can even prune them a little bit as you as you put them into the ground just to make sure, like I said, there's no crossover branches or anything. But when you get them from the nursery, they should be in pretty good shape. So just go straight for rabbit eye and get, you know, different varieties. I will do it. Thank you very All much. Right. Thanks, Fred. Have a good weekend. Is this Wanda and Sugar Hill? Yes, it is. Good how morning. are you, Ashley? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Well, how can I help today? I have a Bradford pear. Um, it's been in the... I, I planted that tree in 98. So um, it's grown out beautifully. It's been trimmed regularly. But my concern now is the roots are growing out so far, they're into the concrete now. And they're starting to crack my concrete um, driveway. And on the other side... Um, there's like the water meter next to it, so I, I would imagine that it's some pipes there too. And I'm just concerned if I should um, cut it down. I don't want to cut it down. It provides a lot of shade. It's a beautiful tree. But if it's a problem, I guess I'll have to deal with it. You know, I kind of think so. And, and there's not a lot of people who are huge fans of Bradford pears, so I can kind of hear those people, cut it down, cut it down, because they're just so... Ah, they're smelly to some people. They lose a lot of branches and limbs. And you having it that close to a sidewalk or a driveway where people are coming and going, you know, I worry about it dropping limbs and just kind of being messy for you too. But yeah, with the water meter close by and it's starting to buckle the concrete, it's only going to get worse. So I think getting at it early, getting that removed, you know, before the concrete becomes a big repair, because we know that can be even more costly than the, the cost of taking the tree down. Um, so I would. I mean, Bradford pears are good for some things. Certainly they really are. But maybe if you wanted to do another one um, somewhere where there's a little more room, even, you know, lining driveways and things, that's where I, I think they look their best is when they're kind of not a privacy hedge, so to speak, but just a very uniformed look on the edge of a property line or something like that. But um, I want folks to weigh in, too, for you, Wanda, if you, you said you like the shade that it provides, right? Yes, I do. That's my concern. The shade will be gone once that tree is taken down. Yeah, I mean, we think about, you know, the energy efficiency that comes along with some of these trees near near our homes and really how much that helps our power bill. It's not something you think about when you plant a tree initially, but over time you grow to appreciate what that provides. So anybody that wants to hit me up on the uh, Green and Growing WSB Facebook page right now in the next couple of minutes before I go off the air, you've got some suggestions for Wanda in Sugar Hill of maybe what to replace that Bradford pear with. I would love your suggestions of something that's going to grow, you know, nicely that that close to the house and, and the driveways and all, but still provide some shade and some interest and stuff. So Wanda, give me give me another 10 minutes or so, and I'll shout out some recommendations as they come in for maybe a good replacement tree for you. 
Thank you so yeah. much, Ashley. I really appreciate that. Sorry to, to add to your to-do list, but I, I would take it down. I mean, it, at this point, it's just not providing great benefit. But hey, I mean, look at it this way. You know, it provided, what, over 20 years of, of a good friend for you. So that was that was better than not. You're correct. Well, <laughs> we always have to say goodbye to things, so I guess it's time to say goodbye to my tree. But then you get to say hello to something new and fun and fresh and young and maybe a little more colorful. And Now, do you smell the Bradford pear or no? Some people are just, like, genetically predisposed to smelling those. I don't. I literally have never smelled a Bradford pear, but, I mean, people know when they do. Is that one that you can smell? Not one that I've really had to smell. I can tell when it's blooming, but yeah. that's about it. Wanda, I got you, girl. I told you. People would reach out and come up with really good suggestions. So John tweeted at me, I would consider a silver maple. It's fast growing to replace the Bradford pear or crepe myrtle. So yes, that's still going to add some color, add some shade and all of that. Clint, he tweeted at me as well, Bradford pear, 25 years, a waste of time. So he said maybe a single stem crepe myrtle. So we're, we're two for two on the crepe myrtle suggestions. And then Matthew, he sent me a message on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page, said, you know, I'd replace the Bradford pear with a blood good Japanese maple. That's an awesome suggestion, Matthew. I love that. Um, Terrell, what did Terrell say? Oh, no, he's asking about something else. Thank you guys for giving Wanda some good suggestions there. I love a rising sun redbud, but I just don't think it's going to get as large as the size that you're used to with the Bradford pear. So um, a maple is certainly a good suggestion. Well, we'll be right back with the top three things you need to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to WSB. I'm Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. Wet weather tapering off later this afternoon. We stay overcast and today's high in the mid-40s. And the weather update brought to you by Thinley Roofing. Thank you to them for sponsoring that. We're going to quickly get through this. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. So we have been featuring the Cornell Lab of Ornithology in Ithaca, New York, celebrating the, gra- the great backyard bird count that runs through Monday. Check out nestwatch.org for help identifying birds or check out the Merlin app. Number two, if you've pruned your roses, that's awesome. And if not, that's okay if you choose to leave them. Finish spraying those and fruit trees early this month while those are still dormant and there won't be any harm to pollinators. And number three, clean out birdhouses and nesting boxes. If you're hoping to attract house wrens, though, good news, they've got it covered. The male house wren, he cleans out the old nesting material between clutches, doing the job for you. Eastern bluebirds, they eat mealworms. Remember, we've talked about attracting them. They simply build over an existing nest, so it may be helpful to them just to clean out those bluebird houses. Well, it's been a fun show. I love talking about birding. Look forward to being with you next Saturday here on Green and Growing. Happy Valentine's Day. Love you guys. Have a great weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.